Good morning. Wow, you guys don't sound very awake. So good morning. Very good. It is so easy to be asleep this morning. It was so warm when you were at home. And for those watching online, you're probably the same and you have blankets over you. Maybe those at home are still in their pajamas. I don't think anybody live is in their pajamas here today. But oh, it's easy. It was so chilly for us in this part of the world. You know, I moved south partly because I like the warm weather. And so this is a little bit frustrating to me, but I looked at my phone and I have hope because next Sunday the high is supposed to be 68 and we will forget all of this ever happened, right? So it's also Valentine's Day. And so as you have heard today a few times, happy Valentine's Day. Today I'm going to speak about marriage. You've already seen the topic is the marriage union. And so that will be what we're thinking about this morning. You know, I understand very well that our congregation is made up of all kinds of folks. We have folks that are married, and we have some that are newly married. We have some that have been married for more than 60 years. We also have folks that have never been married, and folks that are divorced, and folks that want to be married, and folks that don't want to be married. I mean, whatever type of scenario you can think of, we probably have at least one or 12 folks that fit that. And so this morning as I talk about marriage, for those of you who aren't married, whether you plan to ever be married or not, or hope to be married or don't want to be married, I want you to understand that this information today is something that you can help your friends with or your kids with or your neighbors or whoever. Not because it's me, but because it's scripture that comes from God. And so I want you to use it that way. I don't want you to, for those of you watching at home, I don't want you to tune out. I don't want you here at home, here in the building to tune out because you say, well, that's not me. No, it's about helping other people if we're not married and if we are married, then obviously to share the word of God in our own relationships. And this morning we're talking about the marriage union. And so some of you probably already thought there's a union for that. No, that's not what I mean. But I'm talking about this idea of unity and being one. You know, for those of us who are married, before we were married, we, we thought about marriage and, and we probably found someone that we thought was just like us and we had so many similarities and things were wonderful. I remember getting to know Barbara and how exciting it was that we were just alike. And I remember telling my friend, we are just alike, it's incredible. We are both the third child in our family, the youngest ones. She's from Wichita, Kansas. My parents used to live there before I was born. Her dad owns an auto repair shop. My dad used to own an auto repair shop. We had gone to the same college. We are the same age. I mean, it's incredible how similar we are. Her parents were converted to Jesus when she was a little girl. My parents were were converted whenever I was either in the womb or right after I was born. I mean, just everything was exactly alike. And then we got married, and boy, is her family weird, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Our families are just different. Your families are different. You thought everything was the same, but oh, no. You all do that. You eat that. You act that way. You don't like this, whatever it is. I always remember one time we were just telling Annabeth this story that Barbara and I, had. I guess we were probably still dating at the time, and she saw this difference. We get to my house out in the, 
in the panhandle of Texas, Canadian Texas. We get out to my house. We sit down on the couch. There's my mom. And we had talked for about 15 minutes. My mom said, well, are you ready to go visiting? And Barbara's like, what? She goes, go visiting. And so Barbara thought we were visiting. But what she didn't understand that meant was, we are now going to go visit my mother's friends. And so we went to somebody's house. We pull up to the back door. You don't go through the front door ever. You pull up to the back door. You go and you knock on the door. You don't call before you go. You just go in. You talk. They offer you coffee or cookies or whatever. And you're there for 30 minutes or so. And then he said, well, we got to go. We have more visits to make. And you go and you make more. She thought that was the strangest thing she had ever seen. I couldn't figure out why it was strange. That's the way I grew up. And so we find these differences. And I've told you this story before. In my family, we would just brush our teeth wherever we were. We would brush in the kitchen if we were there, and then we would spit in the sink. You don't do that in my house anymore. <laughs> oh, well, I did once about 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's still remembered, and she wouldn't have been standing there. So we find out that while we're similar, we are also different, but we bring that together. Maybe you have not thought much about this. Maybe you have, but about the purpose of marriage. And I don't mean something that maybe we'd find in some old book somewhere, except when I say book, I do mean what we would find in the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, when God has made creation, he makes Adam and Eve, and chapter 2, verse 18, says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. All right, well, let's... Think about that for a minute. Now, most of us have heard this passage. For those of us who've grown up going to church, even people who didn't go to church have heard this passage about, I will make a helper for him. Now, when you think about the word helper, there are a lot of different images that have come to mind over the years. It is not someone who is subordinate to you. Now, I'm old enough to remember that old show, uh, All in the Family, where Archie sits in his chair you know what I'm talking about? And Edith just runs around waiting on him. Now, some people think that is marriage. And that's what it meant to have a helper or a help meet. That's the old phrase we would use. That this helper would just do whatever you wanted. The man just holds out his iced tea cup glass and the wife realizes it's there and then runs and, and, and takes it away and brings back a new one. Now, that's not, that's not what it's talking about in that verse. That's not even the word that was used for someone who is subordinate like that. It also means it's not a servant, someone that waits on you hand and foot. That's not what it means at all. It's kind of hard to imagine for us sometimes, right? For some men, that's the way they treat women. And that is not at all what God called men to do. That's not the role that women were supposed to have. When I was younger, this may be hard for you to believe, I was an electrician's helper. Now, me around electricity, I still don't know anything, but I worked for this electrician for a couple of years when I was 13 and 14, I guess. I worked for the electrician, and he was really a good electrician. His name was Bud, and so Bud would take me with him. Really, all I was supposed to do was go get the tools out of the truck and bring them, or when there was a compressor that was bad, I would take it out or whatever. I mostly just was a gopher. But we would stop and have coffee at this little diner in our town, and there was a coffee pot was over, over on the corner next to the wall. Some of you know this kind of place, and when you 
finish your first cup of coffee, you just go over to the pot yourself and fill it again, and you can sit there all day and drink coffee for 75 cents. Those days don't exist anymore. So Bud and I would sit down at the table, at the table, and I'm guessing he treated me just like he did his wife. And so he would finish his coffee, and then he would start shaking his cup. Sometimes he would even put his, he would put his spoon in it even and make noise. I'm like, what is that? And I just sat there, and he keeps, you know what I want? And I go, what do you want? Well, what it meant was I was supposed to get up and fill his coffee cup. That was hard for me to do even as a 13-year-old. But, and so sometimes I was not very nice, and so I would say to Bud, what does he need? What does he need? Is there a fire? No, there's not a fire. He'd go, and so we'd go back and forth about his cup, and it really wasn't good for job security, let me say it that way. So he didn't fire me, but he wanted to. But this idea that I would just take care of all of his needs when his wife wasn't there with his coffee cup. That is not the way to treat anybody. It is certainly not what the Bible was saying in Genesis chapter 2 about what a wife was to be. But instead, that word is much closer to being a companion. Even as one preacher puts it, an ally that now you have a companion or an ally. And you might remember how interesting it is in that passage of Scripture. If you want to go back and read it right now, you can, or read it at home, that Adam is made, and then God parades all the animals in front of him. And then he makes woman. And as those animals, it's not just saying, Adam, uh, none of these will do for you. But instead, it's showing Adam how wonderful Eve is going to be. And it lets him see, naturally, this is what is intended. A man and a woman is the way God intended it to be. And so, you see all of this coming in Genesis chapter 2 without making any arguments about this or that. He didn't have to because there were no arguments to make because this is just the way it was. And so, starting in verse 20 through 25, but for Adam... No suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, whoa, man, no, that's not what he said. He said, this is now, old joke, but it still works. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. Remember our thing about one in unity this year. Why he is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We could talk for a long time today, but we're not going to. God could form her from dust, like he did Adam. They would have been separate, right? He could have formed her that way, but that is not what he chose to do. Instead, God chose Adam's rib to form Eve. You have heard in probably a lot of, in a lot of sermons or a lot of weddings that whole idea about forming Eve from the rib that she was not made from his head as to rule over him or under or made from his foot for him to domineer, be domineering toward her or stomp on her, but she was made from his side 
for them to be companions and walk side by side. There is a reason that God chose the rib. He chooses that to show that relationship that they are to have. It's very strong and powerful what God was doing. They are the same flesh. Literally, as you see Adam and Eve coming from the same flesh, that they are to care for each other. They're not to fight against each other. It doesn't make any sense to hit yourself, right? You're not going to hit yourself. That doesn't make sense. And so you wouldn't hit your spouse because you are of the same flesh. There would be no place for that. You may remember back a few years ago, some pitcher who has been through the Astros and out again, you remember after a bad performance, he punched himself in the mouth. That was all that was on TV after that for a while, and there were little memes made about the guy. doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't punch your, shouldn't punch yourself, nor should you hurt your spouse. But instead, you care for each other, just as if you're caring for your own body. You care. There's this strong relationship. They are united as one. But even though they are one, and they're the same, they're different. That's obvious, right? They're the same, but different. God has made us this way. God intended for us to complement each other. God intended for it to be that way, that, that what one can do, the other maybe isn't as good at, and vice versa, and that they work together to make what makes sense in, in, in personality, in thinking, in sexuality, and all of those things. It was God's divine design to do that. God has done it. It is not an accident. God made it that way between man and woman. They're the same, but they're different. We have different things that we do better than the other, possibly. I think about this word whenever it talks about them being united I don't like to give you a whole bunch of word studies and all, but I'm telling you one, you can just go look on your own and see. It's ehad, E-H-A-D in Hebrew. And it's this word about being united. It's the same word that's used in Exodus 26, verse 6, used in the same context, in the same way, but about something completely different. He said, God said about making the tabernacle, then make 50 gold clasps, and that's a hard word to say. We should say curtain hangers. Then make 50 gold curtain hangers and use them to fasten the curtains together so that the tabernacle is a unit. Now these clasps, that's hard to say. It's like saying masks. I can't wait until the whole mask thing is over so I don't have to say that word anymore because it's so hard to say. So the clasps and the curtains are different things and the the holy of holies or whatever it would be there is a different thing and what makes up the walls are something different but they all are a unit to make one thing just like this room is made up of these wood beams and two before's and and sheetrock and 
hopefully some insulation to make what we call the auditorium or the worship center, sometimes we say. It all comes together to make a unit. And so the husband and the wife come together to make a unit, separate pieces to make one. They're obviously different, but they make one, just as a puzzle comes together. I want you to see this picture on the screen of these, of these uh, ice skaters. Charles Swindoll, a writer some of you have read before, I'm sure, Chuck Swindoll, he wrote a book called A Love is a Choice. And he's talking about what Moses was talking about here in this clasp, in this tabernacle, in this unit. He said what Moses was writing is the picture that is seen in a figure skating couple gliding across the ice. The man and woman intertwine their arms and legs, spinning and twirling in perfect synchronized movements with music playing. Their movements are individual, different, yet carefully executed so that you see them as one working unit. Then suddenly they part waves and they ways and they move in opposite directions, spin in perfect unison. They come together again, creating a beautiful picture of two people living as one flesh. They're together, it's synchronized, you'll watch this in the Winter Olympics and you see them as they spin and you go, wow, everything is exactly the same. And then all at once he throws her into the air and she spins and she comes down and makes a perfect landing. And you say, wow, how did they do that? They're synchronized together. It's what marriage is intended to be. That is this, this beautiful art as husband and wife are the same, yet they're different. Rather than to be two skaters doing their own thing, running into each other, falling on the ground, or maybe even going off and finding some other skater to be with. That is not what God called us to be, but instead to be this synchronized couple. Adam and, well, let me just tell you this before we get there. I want to tell you something that my guess is you don't know. That maybe you have never thought about. Adam and Eve did not marry for love. Now, is that kind of hard, kind of funny to think about? Because you know what you've been told all your life? What I was told was marry for love. Don't marry for money, right? You hear that one a lot. Don't marry for money. Don't marry for sex. Don't marry for these other things. But you should marry for love. But Adam and Eve didn't marry for love. God put them together. It looks like first day they got married. I mean, they were one-day-olds, right? That's what it looks like. Maybe. Well, certainly we love. Don't misunderstand me. And you want to love the person that you're going to be married to. Don't misunderstand that. But maybe there's something higher than just being in love. Maybe there's something more than that. For one thing, when you look at the worldly way of looking at love, love is something fluid. It comes and it goes. And, you know, you read about some Hollywood star or we're watching some show and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go to Wikipedia and see about the, the person, the actor, you know, and they were married for two years and then they were married for six months and then they were married for three years and then they lived with someone for a while and then they were married for four years and, you know, it just goes on and on. And so it's here and it's there and it's here and it's there and it's kind of like it's all fluid and, well, that's how I felt at the time, but I don't anymore and now I hear I feel this. Adam and Eve weren't married for love. And he said, well, what else would you be married for if it weren't for love? Well, I want you to see from that passage that John read this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, at the end of that, in verses 31 and 32, 
as we get to the end, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. This is quoting right out of Genesis. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he throws this in. This is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You mean that whole passage that I've read that in weddings. I'm going to keep reading it in weddings because it's so beautiful about the husband and the wife and the relationship between the two and how important it is. And you know that passage from Ephesians 5 and you find a very similar passage in Colossians. It's not about the couple standing up there in front. It's about Jesus and his church. In this case, Jesus is the groom and the church, us, are his bride. And so he says, all that, he says, yeah, that's about man and woman, sort of, as an illustration. But it's really about Jesus and the church. Now, what you know is, is that Jesus really does love us. We know that. But it is deeper than this physical love. It's deeper than this fluid love that we get from Hollywood. It's so much more than that. So I want us to think about for just a second, what does the love of Jesus look like I like that look like what does it look like it's faithful boy I need that kind of love Jesus love is faithful he's not saying let me look around he's saying I love my church and I'm not going to have other churches he says I love my church and then his love is unconditional. Wow, that's pretty incredible too, right? Unconditional. But what if? He says, I still love you. But I still love you. But what if you knew? I still love you, Jesus says. And I love this old kind of King James word for patience. Long-suffering. Sometimes... Marriage can be long-suffering. Any relationship can be long-suffering sometimes, right? Long-suffering to you, your definition of long-suffering may be uh, 15 minutes. But I think it wasn't about an issue in a, in a marriage per se, but I think about an old professor I had who had been married more than 50 years, whose wife got sick when she was... They were in their 20s. And sometimes she was bedridden and other times she was up for a while, but most of the time she was bedridden. And I remember that he took care of her and loved her and talked about her as if she were an angel. Long-suffering, devoted, faithful, unconditional. This is where I am and who I am married to. And this is where I put all the marbles this is it all my eggs in one basket as we talked about earlier this is it and jesus love is like that in first corinthians chapter 13 another passage you often hear at funerals and at weddings this beautiful idea of what love is first corinthians 13 4 through 7 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast this is godly love it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. 
It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. Now I want you to see that when you start thinking about that from a spouse side. And this being agape love, godly love that a spouse shows toward another spouse. A spouse is patient and kind. A spouse loves without envy or boasting. A spouse is not arrogant or rude. A spouse does not insist on their own way. A spouse is not irritable or resentful. (laughs) I'm sorry, right here, I'm in trouble. A spouse does not rejoice in a wrongdoing. A spouse rejoices in the truth. A spouse bears all things. A spouse believes all things. A spouse hopes all things. A spouse endures all things. You see, what this is about is that agape love. And when we have agape love, like God has, then this passage really speaks to us in a strong way. So I wonder this morning, do I look like Jesus? Do I look like him? In the way I treat my spouse? In the way I treat other people? Would people say, that guy, that woman, they're like Jesus? If someone saw the way I treated my wife, would they say, the Lord would be pleased with the way you treat your wife or the way you treat your husband? The Lord would be pleased with that. Or would they say, wow, I wouldn't want any part of the God you know. What would they say? Some of you remember one of our members who was here for... I'm not going to say 100 years, but he was here nearly that long, 50 years probably, Lloyd Mills. He's now passed away. Lloyd was the sweetest little man in this church, maybe at one point in his life. He used to sit over back on my right, your left, every Sunday morning, and he would come to our early service, and, and he had done lots of things in his life. Most of his life, he was a school teacher. I, did, I didn't know him when his, when his wife was alive. But Lloyd was at D-Day plus two. And oh, he told stories about what it was like to be on those beaches and what it was like to be on that boat on his way there. But one of the interesting things about Lloyd, Lloyd was 17 when he was at D-Day. And one of the things that Lloyd used to talk about was they all called him Padre. You know the term padre, father, like a priest, and obviously he wasn't Catholic, but they called him padre because he always read his Bible, and he didn't cuss, and he always tried to tell them about Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great way to be known? That people would want to say that, well, you must be a preacher. As far as I know, Lloyd never preached a sermon, not even one. He didn't even say many public prayers, probably. Wouldn't you want to be like that? 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, you know that passage that says, what can separate us from the love of God? Not heights and not depth and old King James and not principalities. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's only one thing that can separate us. It's us. We can refuse that love and walk away from that. But I want you to understand this. When I do walk away from God's love, God doesn't stop loving me. He still hurts for me. I've probably told you the story about when I was a, a kid. I was five or six years old and there was a family in the church whose son had run away. And back then we didn't have cell phones and I remember he, the son was gone for about six weeks. And I remember that the woman and they were, they were the core of that little tiny congregation of about 50 people. I remember that she didn't come during that time because somebody had to be by the phone all the time in case their son called. And I remember how, how sick she was, worrying about him, and she lost weight and, and all, and I didn't understand as a, as a child what that meant. Well, just because her son left didn't mean that she stopped loving him. He broke the relationship he left. There would have been no inheritance for him if he didn't come back. You understand what I'm saying? Because they wouldn't have even known where he was. Do I look like Jesus? Do I look like him? And maybe today you, you're saying, I want to. I want to. I want to be baptized in Jesus. I want to be immersed in him. I want my sins to be taken away, and I want to have the gift of the Holy Spirit that only God can give. That's what I want. And you can do that this morning. You can be baptized. And then you wouldn't, you wouldn't forget the date. It's Valentine's Day. You would always know when. And for others of us, oh, maybe we just need prayer. Prayer of the church. Prayer from the elders. You can write to elders at mcoc.org. And they'll help you whether it's a sin or if it's just support you need. It's in strength. They'll help you. You can come forward if you choose. Find me in the, hall, in the, in the foyer. But we want to be one with God. We want to have unity in our relationships. Come this morning as we stand and sing.